for coaches, by coaches, this is Soccer Chat with Nick Rizzo and Sean Sauterly, brought to you by social media for high school athletes. What's up, everybody? Is is the Chicago hangover over yet? Hopefully, because it's been like three weeks since then. Uh, This is Soccer Chat. For coaches, by coaches, brought to you every single week by the good folks at Social Media for the High School Athletes. You can check them out online, socialstudentathletes.com, and all over social media at HS Social Media. Because of them, you can listen to the show for free every single week, wherever you get your podcast from, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, uh, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcast from, you can listen because of them. This is a listener-supported podcast supported by people just like you who's listening to this. If you want to give us a support, uh, make sure to share the links of the shows every single week. Let us know what you like about the conversation. You know, go ahead and quote tweet it. Put uh, the, the the comments that you liked in the, in, the, in the podcast, in the show, something that you learned from it. Uh, kind of give that little weekly update. We absolutely love it. We love all the, uh, the interactions that we get with you guys. And we love when you tell us what you like about the show. So if you also want to support us, give us a nice little five-star rating and review on iTunes. That helps us out tremendously. And there's a lot on there. We're, we're trying to get those numbers up even more. And we know we can if you just take 30 seconds out of your time, hit that five-star Type in a nice little review. Even if you just want to say hey to us on there, you can do that. But enough of those plugs. He's Nick. I'm Sean. Nick, how are you doing? You're you're getting over your sickness. We're doing this on Wednesday night. You were just you were vomiting like horror movie crazy on Monday when we were going to try to do this. Are you okay? I am now. I cleared my system. You know, I am one of those people. I don't get sick a whole ton. Like I get cold occasionally, but I don't remember the last time that I'd actually gotten like throw up sick. So it was like, it was a new experience for me. I, I honestly, I, like, I forgot how much it sucks to throw up. Like no one really likes throwing up, but like, I forgot how much, like most of the time, I think when people are doing it, they probably had too many beers. So <laughs> they're probably like, not like fully conscious of the fact that they're throwing up. And like, I was fully conscious of the fact that I was throwing up every single time. It wasn't a lot of fun. I would have to say, as I've gotten older, I do enjoy, like if I'm sick and I have to throw up, I feel so much better after I throw up. Normally, yes. This was not one of those cases. And it's almost like, like, like a Halloween moment. Like, like, when it happens, I, I was like, like, yes. I was like shaking. I was like, I don't know why I'm cold right now. Like everything was bad. It was just. You rough. had the man cold. It was it was a combination of everything. I felt so soft, but it, I got through it and I'm here. I've, I have a lot more energy now as you'll hear from the interview later. I was, I was back to, if we would have done that on Monday, I would have been like, Sean, just do stuff. <laughs> we never want me to just do stuff. That's always <laughs> a, uh, that's always a bad idea. Um, so we are, we're heading into the next month. Uh, we hope that you guys have been liking the stuff from Chicago. Uh, we do still have some of those left over uh, that we're going to be putting out from time to time. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't give a shout out to the homies, Tiff and Addy from, uh, from Duke brand. And uh, we are, by the time that you've listened to this, we've already announced, but soccer chat is very, very, very proud to be members of Dutik Brand FC. Thank you, Nick, for applying. <laughs> no, I mean, one of us had to, you know, but uh, there, again, like we, I think anyone who listened to their story, I was actually, uh, one, one of my favorite parts about this uh, is what they're doing, not only for the soccer community, but what they're doing for the youth community. If you watch any of the stuff that they've been doing and the partnerships that they've had, the scholarship that they just gave Bobby Papioni to work with his girls, 
Um, one of the coolest parts for me, though, I was talking to one of the people that we actually met at convention. I believe you pronounce the name Turi, Dan Turi. Dan, I, yeah. I, yeah. And his daughter actually got accepted. I think she's 13 or 14 years old on the Dick FC. She applied and like he told her like, Hey, I, I want to share the story. So hopefully Dan, you're not upset about this because it was such a cool story where he was telling me about like how, when he was telling, she was asking to apply. He's like, well, there's going to be a lot of really good applications. I know people are really excited about it. She's like, I, it doesn't matter. I want it. If I don't try, I'm going to be upset. And so she sent in her application, obviously got accepted. So really cool story because I mean, that stuff, like, especially starting with a person her age, I was not doing that when I was 14 years old. Like, heck no, I was yeah. like, I was being stupid, doing a lot of other dumb things. And so the fact that she's already wanting to get involved with the game and with the community and everything at that age is phenomenal. So Dan, hopefully you're not offended that I told that story because it's a really freaking cool story. So I, I do have to ask, uh, since, you know, I mean, you kind of took the lead on that for us. Uh, supposedly you had a really good story. What was, uh, what was your story? Well, I mean, like it, what, they had a lot of awesome questions that you could answer um, in terms of, they, I think they gave you six or seven options and you had to, it was honestly hard to, I think I forget the amount, the word limit, but it was honestly hard fitting your answer under the word limit. And I mean, cause you and me are both kind of wordy at times when we talk. And so More I, than you. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think I just told them, I think my answer was something along the lines of how it, it was, it was name a strength of yours, or maybe not necessarily a strength of yours, but something that you want to be a strength of yours going forward. And I talked about how uh, a strength that I wanted to have was to be one of those people that connects people that is a person that can find ways to take away the knowledge I've had and the friendships I've gotten and be able to connect more and more people. And the kind of the reason that we ended up starting this show. And I, I, I think I wrote in the thing, I go, you guys don't need my help to connect people. Like you don't need me and Sean's help to connect anyone. They already have such an unbelievable group and an unbelievable uh, group of friends that, and, and, and I don't even know how you and members of their FC that support them and really do a great job for them. But I told them if, if they'd be willing to let us be a part of that, I think we could really continue to build what they're trying to build and be and help be a big part of it. Yeah, they're they're doing amazing, amazing things. Uh, I tweeted last week that I used my trainer for the first time uh, a couple a couple weeks ago, I believe it was, because uh, I refused to use it until I got them to sign it, and then I wanted to be able to like when I saw other people using theirs, which I did. Uh, there was <laughs> at the camp I was at, there was somebody who was using uh, their Dutic brand. I was like, oh, I see you have a uh, Dutic brand, and they were like, yeah, and uh, I was like, is yours signed? <laughs> like what? I was like, is yours autographed by the Dutic women? And they were like, no. I was like. <laughs> Mine is, um, I didn't do that, but, um, it, it's, it, it's a really cool partnership that, uh, you know, I, now it's, it's the joke is kind of turned around back on us because last year, uh, when everybody was giving their codes, basically every single answer on soccer chat, uh, and it was like, man, like, I'm just going to make up a soccer chat, um, code and, but now we're going to have one and we're pretty excited about it. And, uh, we hope that, uh, you, you know, you guys who got on it, super awesome. Congratulations. Uh, if you didn't, Hey, like keep going because they're, they're, they're getting new, more and more new people every single year, uh, to be members of Dutic brand FC with some awesome benefits to being members, uh, of, of the group. And it, it's, if it, it, the time is to get into it now, like, cause Dutic brand is going to take off 
uh, in these next couple of years. And it's going to take uh, kind of like anything else. It's going to take like the first, that, that one big connection to do it and it's going to blow up and when they're never going to talk to us again, like they're never going to answer our group text anymore. I mean, no, they will. They're, they're, they're going to have to, I think we're, we're going to, we're going to force ourselves to into, into their lives and make the, no, but uh, Tiff and Adelaide are absolutely awesome. They've been, the stuff that they're doing, if you just, if you were to see them at convention, the amount of people that they help and the amount of people that are really excited about how they're, they're making coaches lives and players lives so much easier uh, it, it's been really cool. And even like the one that they announced the other day where they, they got like a whiteboard on outside of the notebook. Like that's so cool. Like I would totally use that. Yeah. I, it, just the innovations that they're coming up with is, is, is incredible. Um, and like I said, we're, we're very proud to be members of Dutick brand FC. Um, I'm going to go on a limb on the podcast. I didn't say this in a text message. I, maybe I did, but I think there needs to be Dutick brand FC jerseys. I mean, it's, it probably should. I mean, like we, you can design them. I, I think, I think Adelaide does a good job with graphic design too. So I, I think there's some options. I think you guys could do a big collaboration and then me, me and Tiff will just approve it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. I, I was expecting more of um, Tiff texting us the design at like five in the morning and then, uh, having to get the design done and then you waking up at like nine uh, and being like, yep, yeah, looks good. Let's go with it. That's normally how this works. That's a, that's why, <laughs> that's why we have a great relationship. Sean. We, we know, we know what each other's doing. Hey, just be happy. Like, I'm so happy right now that I have the internet at my new house. I haven't had the internet for like two weeks and, uh, or well, well, let's see. We won't, we won't been in house uh, just over two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. This is the second week we've been in the house. Uh, so I'm, I'm just so happy to have the internet. So that way I can come up with, with ideas and send them to you at like one in the morning. And you can be like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm in bed. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I will. I, well, I won't reply, but I'll, I, will get, I will get them the next day and we'll tell you that I was in bed. Now, isn't that crazy? Like you go to bed before me and wake up after me. But yeah, I, I still go to bed later and get up before you do. I don't have the dad mindset yet. Like I'm, I, I don't, I'm, I don't have kids yet, Sean. I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy this sleep while I got it. And My man, do. I was doing this, but way before kids. Well, well <laughs> then you're not. That fool you. Well, then you're not normal, Sean. Get, get your eight <laughs> hours. Get your eight hours. I can't. I said. I think I've said this before. If I sleep over six hours, I have like I am the. I get really sick. Like I have like a cold. And like I feel horrible for like two days if I sleep over six hours. I well, I don't know what to tell you. I can't do what you do. You know what I can tell you? So we got an interview coming up here. I legit, as of right now, 17 seconds ago, just got followed by our guest that's coming up after this. How cool is that? I'm so excited. God, I'm so jealous. I've not been followed by him yet. <laughs> you should go follow him right now. And you're gonna want to follow him. Never mind. He did follow me. I, there okay. you go. We're okay. We're go. okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're gonna want to follow him after you hear this interview. It's super awesome, and it's coming up right after this.
Each week, uh, you know, first show off of the Chicago convention with United Soccer Coaches and we couldn't have done ourselves a better service than getting somebody who uh, we've, we've talked with for a while and, and every now and then pops up on the, the Wednesday night chats. We have with us Chris Rich tonight from Duke University, one of the uh, men's assistant coaches there. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, how are you guys doing? We are fantastic. And I, I do kind of want to get started because I know Nick's going to have a lot of questions like he typically does because uh, he's much more uh, into journalism than I am. I recently, you just compl- or you started the A license course just recently? Yeah, that's right. I just started the A senior license, which is um, maybe a six to eight month course. I just did my first week in Florida uh, last week. And I believe, is Sarah Loudon in that class? She is, yeah. That's what, okay. So whenever uh, Nick and I were talking last week, uh, I was like, hey, I think he's in the same class as Sarah. So we'll give you plenty of, of ammunition uh, against her. Um, next time that you see her, uh, but with soccer chat, you know, we, we want to know who the coach is now and how you got there, because we believe that's kind of, uh, the way you are the coach now is kind of a story about where you've been. So if you don't mind giving everybody a, a brief background on how you got to where you're at now. Sure. Um, well, first off as a, as a player, you know, I always wanted to be a pro, um, that was my aspiration. So I, I kind of got into coaching because I played um, really just as long as I could. Um, and then once it ended, uh, that's when coaching kind of started. So I played, uh, played growing up in Tampa, Florida, uh, ended up at a small division two school, school called Barry university, um, which were, I'll throw a little plug in there. They were the national champions this year. Hey, um, Get up. Uh, obviously not because of me, um, but <laughs> you never uh, know. You never know. <laughs> legacy. You left a legacy. For that's me. right. That's right. Um, <laughs> so I played there in the early to mid two thousands. Um, once I graduated, I tried maybe about six months to a year to continue playing. And, and once I realized I just wasn't that good, I, I started coaching. Uh, my co- first coaching opportunity came at Barry. Uh, Barry University, where I was a grad assistant, um, where I was getting my master's degree in sport management, and I was coaching um, uh, the men's and women's program at Barry. Um, my, it was kind of a dual assistant role. I, I started primarily with the goalkeepers my first year, maybe leading into my second year, um, and then I I graduated uh, in the two years. Um, for my, for my grad assistantship. And then I was promoted to more of a full-time role uh, with only the men. Uh, and that's where I, I primarily, you know, coached the men and I was kind of got more responsibilities from there. Uh, I did that for another two years at Barry uh, at the division two level. And then I moved on to FIU Florida international university for uh, about one year, just under one year, actually um, from there, I went to Virginia tech. That was my first shot Uh, let's say the big leagues, um, coaching in the ACC. I did that for two years um, in Blacksburg. Uh, Then I moved from there to UNC, Chapel Hill, for another two years and change. Uh, And then after a couple of years there, I got the opportunity to move over to Duke, which is a real unique uh, transition. Um, But uh, that's where I'm at now. I've been at Duke for about three years. Are you trying to hit all the ACC schools in your career? I am trying to set the record, but <laughs> I, I, I think um, I'm, I think I'm number two, at least on the men's side. I know for sure somebody has me beat. Um, I was going to say there's got to be a record for most ACC schools coached at, and you've got to be near the top. Yeah, I'm near it, but not at the top. <laughs> yeah. I think I think I'm done. Um, I think three, <laughs> three is my cap. <laughs> what uh, you, you mentioned, you know, kind of get that start at Barry, and and 
it's always interesting when people have the GA experience and just the the information that they soak in, or sometimes they even learn from the mistakes that they saw or that they made themselves that helped them out as a coach. Now, what's something from that experience at Barry that you find yourself now in your current position, maybe reflecting on or using in that time that you were a graduate assistant? Honestly, the biggest thing was grinding, knowing how to grind with limited resources, with no pay. Um, my, my, I was making, I think, if I remember correctly, $3,000 for the entire year. And Quality. Say, yeah, yeah. $3,000 in 2007. Um, and they would pay for um, my tuition, um, but they didn't pay for my room and board. So I had to, um, I got an apartment off mm-hmm. campus and I just literally had to grind through camps, through club, through private lessons, through really anything and everything that would pay me. Um, and, and I tried to stick to coaching as much as possible because I wanted to develop that part um, obviously, and really become a full-time coach and transition into uh, the next level. But, you know, for me at the D2 level, and certainly as a GA, was just learning how to grind and do a lot with very little. Um, and that's kind of my mindset now. I'm obviously at Duke where we're perceived to have a lot. But for me, uh, I still have that same grinding mentality, that, that same work ethic that drives me today. One of the things that I don't think enough people – like really appreciates that first job. I was talking to like, whenever I talk to people that are just getting their GAs and people that are kind of really green, just getting out of college, they don't, I don't think they realize how their first like few years is going to be a lot of work for $0, especially in coaching. Yeah, a hundred percent. There's so many people that come to me and, and, or just in conversation that you talk to that's looking for opportunity. That's looking for a, a foot in the door I tell everyone, go be a volunteer somewhere, go be a grad assistant somewhere and and just make it work for a year or two. I mean, I didn't have health insurance until I was like 28 years old. Um, I don't advise, (laughs) I don't don't advise doing that, but you know, I just made it work for a long time. And um, just because my ambition was to work with the highest caliber player, my ambition was to learn from the greatest coaches possible um, but yeah, absolutely. You know, this, that first job or the first few jobs, depending on um, what track you're on, y- you you have very little. Um, you're probably getting very little pay and you're just trying to make ends meet as best you can. But for me, um, that was my foot in. And and if you want into coaching, that's usually the foot in. Oh, absolutely. And it was funny. Like, honestly, my first year I got off my parents' health insurance, I had a I needed a root canal. And I remember going to the, the dentist and being like, Oh, like how much is this going to cost? And they told me how much it was going to cost. I go, how much will it cost? Just like pull it. It was like the furthest back tooth and left. And they're like 80 bucks. And I was like, yeah, let's just go with that. Right. So I, <laughs> I was like, I will just get rid of that guy. We don't need it anymore. Right. That's awesome. um, but like when you started going through this, it, going back to your experience at Barry, were you a goalkeeper? Like you, we kind of talked about your goal, your goalkeeper coach now. Was that your experience? Yes. Um, you know, I didn't become a goalkeeper until I was about 16, 17. So I was kind of a late bloomer in the goalkeeper world, but I did, I did at least commit to that position, um, going into college. Um, and I was a goalkeeper there. And then, you know, I, I didn't really think uh, about it at the time. Do I want to be a goalkeeper coach or do I just want to work with the field players? I didn't think like that. I just, I took whatever opportunity came my way and just happened to be with goalkeepers. 
Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you're pretty normal for goalkeepers. We have a lot of goalkeepers on the show and you seem like a fairly normal dude. Goalkeepers are kind of weird sometimes. They are sorry, very weird. <laughs> sorry, Sam Anderson, John Bush, you're, you're two of my best friends now. Um, but no, but that's awesome. And then in transitioning out of that, what was your first few years like working at your alma? What is, was it difficult to go back to a place you'd played at, work with guys that you'd hung out with and different things like that? Yeah, the biggest challenge was twofold. Um, there's the social element. You know, I, I was 22 years old coaching 22-year-olds. And in some cases, I was 22 years old coaching 25-year-olds because we, at the Division two level, there's a lot of internationals. And at the time, there really wasn't much of an age limit. Um, so that was really challenging, coaching players that were older than me and then coaching my friends. And, I, I, you know, I'll be honest, I made a lot of mistakes early on trying to be – the guy trying to come come down with discipline and and really put forward my authority and that was probably the worst decision I could have made at the time because it got me into a lot of conflicts um, with the players with my former teammates. Um, it, it was so important to me to make these guys know that I'm a coach now, where I was probably too aggressive with it, and you know, and obviously in hindsight, I would have handled that much differently. But yeah, that was the biggest challenge. Just just putting myself from I went from player to coach in a matter of six months and so that was the first challenge and then there's the same thing on the women's side because I was I was friends with a lot of these girls and now I'm coaching them so finding that it was really difficult for me finding the balance between okay how do I be a coach how do I offer my opinion how do I criticize how do I lead when six months ago I was their I was their friend, I was the one going out with them. I was yeah. uh, the one hanging out with them. You know, so that was a challenge for me for sure. What would, what do you think made that transition for you? Where it was like, all right, like you said, you had some difficulty earlier. Was it age that made it better? Was it distance from when you graduated? Or was it something that you heard or something that was said to you that made that transition for you? It was failure. Um, it was mistakes, you know, I was learning from my own mistakes. And then of course, experience age came along with that. Uh, when I was, when I first started coaching, I wasn't naturally, I wasn't fully committed to being a full-time coach. I really didn't understand what that really meant. Um, you know, it's completely different for me nowadays, but you know, not until like my second, really my third year, once I graduated from that grad assistant, um, position. That's when I started taking a full-time position at a club. Um, That's when I really started um, trying to master my craft, taking coaching licenses, trying to learn um, the game as much as possible. My first couple of years, um, I was having to learn from mistakes, you know, and and I had some guidance, but to be honest, very little, just because I'm not sure my priority at the time was coaching. Um, I feel bad for the players that we we worked with during my first two years coaching because my, my priorities were different. My priority was I was still living in that social life. I was living in Miami um, and I was coaching and I loved coaching, but I don't think the players got enough or at least they didn't get what they deserved out of, um, out of one of their assistant coaches. So I learned by failing. I learned by making mistakes, to be honest. What made you want to like, what, what was that? Was there like an aha moment when you wanted to be a coach when you're like, yeah, this is it. This is my job. Or was it just you're like, ah, I got nothing better to do, so I'm just going to keep doing this? Yeah. Well, a little story. You know, when I first started as a grad assistant, um, right before that, I graduated in December. So I graduated like three and a half years of college. I took a position with the Florida Panthers, the hockey team. Um, and my job was in client services. Um, I wore a suit and tie every single day. It was my job at the Panthers to kind of take care of high-end clients, um, 
um, players, families, corporate sponsors, that kind of stuff. And I literally, like the third month in, I'm like, what am I doing? We're in a suit and tie every single day. That was kind of my, um, you know what, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to start coaching. And then when I was coaching, it was my third year uh, when I started coaching club at a um, club called Kendall Soccer Club, which is a DA academy um, in Miami. And I started coaching there with a guy named Luchi Gonzalez, who's the head coach at FC Dallas now. Um, and Matias Asori, who was the uh, formerly the director of Kendall. And now he's the U17 academy coach at, at FC Dallas. But I started coaching with those two guys at like 24, 25. And they were like 27, 28. They just finished their playing careers. And we started coaching together. Uh, we took over the club together. And, and I was learning from those guys and, and learning um, um, as I went. But I really figured out very quickly that if I wanted to do this, I, you know, I really had to commit to it. And that was kind of my aha moment. I mean, I, I'm glad someone else has that, my man, because uh, I was I literally tell people most of the time that I got into coaching because I didn't ever want to wear pants with buttons. So <laughs> that's <Right. laughs> that's the number one. No, your story is a lot more impactful than mine was. But no, that's awesome. What do you um, like going from that job at Barry to the next one? What was it? First of all, how is it working with the coach that you played for? Yeah, it was awesome. You know, Steve McGrath, who's still there to Today is an unbelievable person. So that transition was super easy. He's, he's a mentor. He's a, a friend. Um, he's, he's kind of that um, person before he is a boss. You know, he was never – he never really acted as a, a boss to me. He always treated me like a person. He always treated me like a close friend, like family. So we had a very good relationship um, when I was a player. So the transition to, to going from playing for him to working for him was pretty easily because he treated me the same. Um, I don't know if he would, he would handle that differently um, now, but at least at the time, um, what an unbelievable person that guy was and is. I mean, he's family to me. Um, he made that transition super easy. Was he the one that kind of started giving you guidance towards that next job after that, or was it something that you kind of talked with him about that you, need to, that you wanted to move on for a little bit? Yeah, so I was there for four years, and obviously um, as a player as well, so eight years total. That's a long time. Um, it is. And, and – um, how it worked out is uh, Matias Asori, who's the, again, uh, U-17 Academy coach now at FC Dallas. He was the um, assistant at FIU. Um, and uh, the head coach, Munga Ekatebi, who's a legend of the game, um, you know, I, I was able to build a relationship with those guys just by being in Miami. Barry was the Division II school in Miami. FIU was the Division I school. So we would collaborate a lot, work camps together, work club together. And what happened was uh, the second assistant position came open at FIU um, and Matias and Munga called me uh, right away. I kind of knew it was happening before it happened, one of those things. And so I literally uh, I got the phone call. I drove straight to FIU from a club field and in my soccer shorts and in a, um, and, and a club shirt. And I was, you know, I thought I was going to uh, answer a few questions and, and really the contract was just put in front of me and that's how it happened. Um, I immediately called my boss at Barry Steve and, and then just said, listen, this opportunity has presented itself and um, I was already kind of a foot out the door. So it was kind of a quick transition. Health no, insurance. <laughs> no, no, I didn't have health insurance. Oh, okay. 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 It was I, one of those, it was one of those full-time part-time jobs. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I think it was, the salary was maybe $8,000, $10,000 as a yes. second assistant. 
And so I had a grinding club in camp still. So it was definitely an increase what I was making at Barry, but not by much. Guys, we will get to the point in this story where Chris has health insurance. There will be a point <laughs> in this story later today where he has health insurance and we know he's okay. We know yeah. we know he'll be all right. Yeah. But that's awesome. And then what was that job like? What was the transition to that position? It was new, obviously, like it, it's different division. Like what, what was that like for you? Yeah, great experience. It kind of put me – it's funny. When you're in the D2 world, you could be super successful, but um, you're just not known by the Division One world. Um, once I got – once I started wearing the FIU hat, once I started recruiting and sitting on the bench at FIU, all of a sudden so many doors opened for me. And uh, I met just so many different people. And what I did at FIU, throwing in the fire right away and start coaching the team right away and start recruiting right away. And so it was a really quick transition, but – I was given a lot of responsibility right from the get-go, and that kind of gave me the opportunity to learn the ropes and learn how to recruit at the Division One level, um, build relationships, build contacts. Um, but the the it was such a short stint. I was at um, I was there maybe until March, um, so like maybe so maybe less than ten months because my boss Munga got fired. Um, he got fired directly after the season. I was actually getting my B license. I think it was 2011. Getting my B license and. Um, we got the phone call. I got the phone call that, um, my boss was fired and, uh, it was, it was a weird situation. We didn't have a great season, but he was just there four or five years as the head coach, but kind of, um, wrapping up a, um, a slew of NCAA violations where the previous coach was fired. Munga was the assistant, gave him the job, but really, um, they didn't give him the job long-term. They gave him the job with the idea of let's get through these violations and then we'll start fresh. And of course he didn't know that. And I didn't know that. So FIU was a really short stint for me. Um, But to be honest, it was a great experience just because it opened up the division one world to me. We it's, it's it's awesome that you mentioned that because we've had uh, friends of ours on the show who have been at the D2 and the D3 level or an AI level. And they all say like, I just need that one chance at division one, because here I am right. having the success at the D2 level or the D3 level. And I'm, I'm working my way up. It's just that one opportunity. So what would you say to somebody who's kind of in your shoes? Like you said, you know, you're at the D2 level or, or maybe you're at D3 level and you, you know, you're having success and nobody's just noticing what's it, what's it take to, and you probably already said with the word grinding, but you know, what's it take to get that one opportunity to finally put that hat on? Because like you said, once you put that hat on, everybody notices you. Sure. Um, it's all about relationships and, and it's not who you know, but who knows you. Um, you know, so for me, it was all about the relationship. So what I what I started doing, I became a camp grinder, um, not only for the money, but mostly for the relationships. So I, I would literally get my car and drive to camps. I would try to hit up every um, camp in Florida. I would drive north, and, and I, I worked at camp at University of North Carolina, which ended up I ended up working there later on. Which and that's how I got that job because I had that previous relationship. I would work a lot of big program camps because I want to meet these people. I want to learn these from these people. They didn't know who I was, um, but uh, when I was at when I was at FIU, um, like you said, it kind of opened up that opportunity. But you still have to do something with it. So I would say, you know, try to build relationships, try to meet as many people as possible, put yourself out there, work camps. Um, people are always looking for help. People are always looking for help. So obviously, if you go work those camps and you create a decent body of work for yourself uh, while you're there and you're polite and you work hard, you'd be surprised at how many people um, will remember that. Um, and that's how it worked for me. You know, I, you know how I, I got the Virginia Tech job because um, 
I were, you know, I was at FIU. I was recruiting my butt off. Um, I don't know if he knows that I know this, but Bob Buhorn, who's now the head coach um, at USF, was a head coach at Florida Gulf Coast. And I was recruiting against those guys nonstop um, when I was at FIU in that short stint. And I was on the road, and, and everybody could see that. The Virginia Tech position came open, and there was an assistant at Virginia Tech that knew Bob really well. And somewhere, somehow, I don't know how, those two talked, and Bob mentioned my name, and then that's how Virginia Tech called me. Um, just through that relationship. Um, he was like, get this guy out of my recruiting circle. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so I, I don't know if it was completely that, that simple. Uh, I really don't know, but I was told that it was through that relationship and knowing that person or that person knowing me, that kind of opened up that next opportunity for me. What, uh, you know, you, you mentioned about, you know, working the, the, the camps and that's actually how I got started at the University of Evansville was just working their camps, body of work, uh, working at camp, and then what I had been doing with, with my high school programs. Um, you know, for that that young coach who who now is going who's going through that, uh, you know, they're finishing up playing right now, realizing coaching's where they wanted to go, you know, how important really is working those camps in the summertime? Because that's something that as I've gotten older, like I still do the camps in the summertime because I, I love to do them and they're, they're fun. Also, you know, working with the kids and work with the coaches, but for that young coach, kind of like you mentioned, you know, it's, it's, it's not so much who, you know, it's, but who knows you and who knows that person who knows that person. Yeah. What can a coach, a young coach do now? Who's, who's just graduating college this year. Who's trying to get into camps. You know, what's the best advice for, for those up and coming coaches? Yeah, um, I'll be honest. Just just before I move forward to answer your question, I hate camps now. Um, <laughs> I, I am I'm as anti-camp as I come now. But at the time, it was a necessary evil, and not just for financial reasons, but like you said, the relationships. Yeah. So my suggestion would be, I want to get call- Chris a shirt that says "Camp Hater." <laughs> <laughs> I may already have that shirt. <laughs> um, you know, so for, for me, it was like I would cold call people and, you know, really just emails. I would just shoot emails and say, hey, um, Coach Samuano, um, hey, Coach Brisendine, hey, Coach Lola, um, I would love to work your camp. You know, I'm the assistant coach at FIU. Let me know if you need any help. Um, I would do a lot of those things. And I would have people call. I would ask people that call for me. I was very fortunate that everywhere I've been, there's been somebody that's been willing to make a phone call for me. Um, and Munga he played a huge role in that. Munga Ekatebi, um, Steve McCrath played a huge role in that. So I would work, I'd go work the IU camp. I'd go work uh, Louisville camp. I went and worked the UNC camp. And all of a sudden, I, I'm meeting assistant coaches at these camps. But the beautiful part about it, it's not just the UNC staff or any of those staff members or the Duke staff. There's so many other coaches that work that camp too. So just by being in the camp environment, you may meet 10 to 15 coaches from different schools. And all of a sudden, you have relationships that you didn't have before. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's really cool. I I honestly feel like I'm the only person in the state of Indiana who's never worked at IU camp, but like everybody I know has. Yeah, um, and that's but that's actually I mean that's a big camp to where if you get in with that one, like you said, these connections you're making um, is going to lead you to that possible next next spot for you. Um, you know, you, you mentioned kind of getting into to UNC, uh, you know, and and with Virginia Tech. What was that transition going from the FIU, you know, hearing about uh, the, the position and, and whatnot, going, leaving Florida almost for the first time? Uh, how, how was that transition for you? Yeah, it was, it was eye-opening um, from a cultural standpoint. You know, I went there on my own. I didn't know anybody. Um, but it was a great experience because um, obviously for, for me, I wanted to cook to the highest level. So 
when the ACC called, I said, how quickly can I get there? You know, no I, kidding. I bet I, that's I, a familiar statement that is made. Yeah. I jumped in my call, car right away and I started driving. Um, you know, it was, it was a good move for me. Virginia Tech was kind of at the bottom of the totem pole in the ACC, but I didn't care. Um, it was an opportunity. It was a volunteer position. So it was a, kind of a full-time volunteer position where I was paid full-time through the camp and, and – sorry, through the club. Uh, and um, Virginia Tech paid me through camps as well on the side. So I actually made more money than I did at FIU just because hey. Packers was pretty good. Um, <laughs> but it was a volunteer position, so I couldn't recruit. I couldn't do any of that stuff. But it you know, put me in the big leagues. It put me at that level where I yeah. was competing against the best coaches – you know, in conversation, we're recruiting for top tier players, um, coaching top tier players. So it was a great, it was a great experience for me, and honestly, a, um, a pretty smooth transition. And uh, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, like, like myself, doing a volunteer position at a University of Evansville. It's it's that those are the positions that's really going to be the door, the door openers for you because you do see things like you going from FIU and your program where it's kind of rebuilding things, getting through the violations to where now you're going to the ACC and you're seeing this big time soccer. What was kind of the the first moment where you were kind of like, oh, okay, like this is where the big boys play. Like this is going to be uh, not not so much challenge, but I'm going to learn a lot in my time here. You know. The first real memory that I have, you know, obviously the games were challenging. The, the, the level was so high. The facilities were completely different. The level of player was completely different. But we played at the University of Maryland back when the university – obviously they won the national championship this year. They beat us. Um, but Maryland was different in the 2000, you know, yeah. mid-2000s and, and obviously 2010, 2011. They were good. We played against a kid named Patrick Mullins, um, who I believe was a Herman Trophy winner. I was at Virginia mm-hmm. Tech. My job on the staff was doing the scout, so I would do the opponent analysis. So I was breaking down the team, and uh, we were up, you know, playing against Maryland in the conference tournament. I think they were the number one overall seed, and we were the eight seed um, at the time. There was only nine, nine teams in the ACC, <laughs> and we so we had to play against Maryland, um, and we played at Maryland in front of like five thousand fans, and. We were. I was preparing the scout for for Maryland for, for our team, and this kid Patrick Mullins was like, "Wow, this kid is good." Um, so to be honest, right then and there, I knew I'm like, "This is the big leagues." You know, if you if we make a mistake, if we if we we're not prepared properly, this kid and this team will bury us. Um, scout was was pretty good. We held we held on. We did all right, but of course they beat us um, late in regulation. Um, but that was kind of my first, my last memory. If you asked me, like, uh, you know, what was that that question that you just asked? I remember that moment. It's it's funny how everybody has like their their main one where it's like that first time at that new score and that new program where you're going against that top group, and it's like, okay, like this is this is the big time now. We've you, we've got to get this right. Um, and you mentioned too, the bottom of the barrel to ACC is still one of the better programs in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned about, you know, recruiting against the Florida Gulf coast and the, and the, the, all the Florida schools now being an ACC and, and, and not, you know, not recruiting at while you're at Virginia tech, but what did you notice about that style of recruiting from Virginia tech to your time when you were at UNC? Yeah, it's completely different. Um, the UNC is the Dukes. We're able to recruit um, the best kids in the country. Um, we have that brand name from a soccer standpoint that when we call, um, you usually get a pickup. You usually get a call back. Um, so, and specific to my you know my experience here at Duke, 
Um, you just, you know, it's kind of it's one of those funny things that sometimes it's the hat that you wear, the, the logo on your shirt, right? Um, you can open up a lot of doors with club coaches, with academy directors, uh, with players, obviously, that you, you have a much harder time, even at a Virginia Tech or an FIU. Um, you can still do it, but it's a lot more challenging. Um, it's funny. I have a lot of friends that were ACC assistants that now they're mid-major head coaches, and they talk about that. They say they have trouble getting callbacks um, from the people that would always call them back. So that's one thing. But I would say the pressure, the level to recruit at, at Duke, for example, or at UNC is so high. If you miss on a player, you're losing games. And if you're yeah. losing games, you're, uh, you're not in a good position. So recruiting is a bloodline of a program, in my opinion. So um, it's super important that you go through the process, that you're detailed, um, you evaluate properly, um, the whole entire recruiting process, you're on top of it, um, because you have to deliver. At that level, you have to deliver. And, and and because you can't win games without players, um, so that's kind of the whole key at that level. And, and that's the, like, sorry, that's like that's a, that's any level. But it's for me, it's it's there's just added more pressure to compete at the highest level when you're there. I've always wondered, especially I mean, you see like Big Ten, ACC, all these all these schools that, especially because of recruiting, it seems like so many other sports are just like going way beyond the box when it comes to recruiting, whether it's social media, whether it's videos, things along those lines. Being at the ACC schools, did you ever see your staffs, you know, maybe in discussions with like the football teams or the basketball teams and, and hey, you know, how are you using this, uh, this platform or how are you using this to draw uh, attention to your school? So I, because I, I find myself with doing social media and, and video work for soccer programs, uh, I, that's basically what I'm watching. I'm seeing who these top football basketball programs are how they're using it to attract the athletes and then somehow doing like the soccer version of that um what were some of the things when you were at Virginia Tech because obviously their football program is absolutely insane and very very well known were there discussions that you as a staff had or maybe even like you talking to one of the assistants like hey like when you guys do this how do you do it Absolutely. Um, and obviously the football and the basketball programs are kind of the leader in that because there's a lot more resources on what they yeah. can do. Right. So, but you, you hit, you hit it spot on. Graphics are a huge thing nowadays. Videos are a huge thing nowadays. Yeah. Social media is massive. You know, if I ask the players I'm recruiting the top tier players in the country and ask them, um, you know, did you watch our game? How was it? Nine times out of 10, they didn't watch us play. We could be playing Virginia or Maryland or UNC. They didn't watch our game. But if I put a tweet up there or I put a short 30-second video or a graphic, they'll know everything about that graphic. Yeah. So that's how it is. That's how you have to relate to these kids nowadays is you have to have a social media presence. Uh, that's where that's how they can relate to you. Um, I, I do that through Twitter. I, I'm not a big Instagram guy, but a lot of people do it through Instagram. But for sure, you know, through my conversations um, through football staffs and basketball staffs are for sure graphics and videos on a more professional level, but you can still st- – you can still do it on a soccer level. It just may not be at the same quality. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing that we we just started doing at, at Duke and something that I did last weekend when we had a bunch of recruits here, um, we did a photo shoot. The football programs and the basketball programs yeah. did a photo shoot. They, they, they'll put you in a deck out in the uniform and the cleats and the pads or the helmets, and they get professional um, – in the green screen, professional shots of them, and the yeah. kids get to take those pictures home. Yeah. Um, how do you think they feel when they're wearing that uniform? They feel a sense of pride. They're like, man, this is the place for us. So 
I hate to give be giving away secrets to my my uh, my competition, but that's that's we did that and it was a home run. Uh, and that those are kind of we did that two years ago and the kids absolutely loved it. Yeah, it's huge. Um, so that's kind of an example of what the the footballs and the basketballs have been doing. Obviously, uh, they wine and dine them to um, <laughs> to the um, to to the end of the world. I mean, they do everything for these kids. Um, so we we don't have the resources to do all of that, but. You know, certainly you can relate to the kids a little bit more through social media, the photo shoot and that kind of stuff. Well, it's funny, too, when you see those those photo shoots with those kids and, and when the signing day happens and there's already the picture of them in the uniform and whatnot. Right. Every kid's face tells you, I mean, you can feel that moment that they're there putting that uniform on for the first time, whether it's a basketball, a soccer or or a football one. You can tell like how happy they are to have all that on. And they they truly feel like they're already there. And that's got to be. Um, you know, I, like I said, you know, we did it with our program a couple of years ago and, and the kids liked it. They were, you know, taking those photos back home, showing everybody. Uh, but obviously, you know, at the school that you're at and the, and the division that you're at, it's a whole different ball game. So it's gotta be kind of that. You can almost get that sense. Like, okay, I, th- I think we've got something here when you see them with that on, or you know, like, Hey, like you look really good in that, that, that kit. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the, what as a staff, you know, the first time you guys did that photo shoot, what was kind of the the thought process? And then did you see the results or were you or, you know, who was kind of the, the, the ringleader in getting that going? Yeah. Um, so I, I saw it on um, social media one time um, that our one of our Duke sports, I think it was women's basketball. They had a committed player. You know, they just like you said, there was already a graphic of them in the jersey um, in their uniform. Like, wow. So I, I immediately went down to our. Uh, marketing people and said, can we do this? Can soccer do this? I know basketballs and footballs could do it, but can we do it? And they said, absolutely. So um, we started exploring it. So now, now we're, we're all hands on. So that's, that's part of my job, you know, to, to put together the best visit possible to put together the itinerary for these recruits. And that's just now a piece of it. And we just started doing it. Honestly, last weekend was the first time we did it. Um, and it was a home run right when they put it on, they start taking the pictures um, talk about an aha moment. You knew right away, you're like, man, that's a home run. Um, and it's and it's easy to do. It's like you said, like you guys can't wine and dine like the footballs and the basketballs, but it's something as simple as letting the kid put the uniform on, getting the picture taken. How how like you can't put like a, a tag on that. Like that's an incredible moment and feeling. Yeah, and you used to not be able to do that, um, but now with the rule changes, I think the only rule is you can't personalize it, right? Yeah. But, but you're now allowed to do it, so you might as well utilize all the resources that you can. And for recruiting, for me, it's about putting the time and the effort. That goes back to my grinding mentality. There's a lot of recruiters out there that don't go through the effort of those small things. Um, that. And those small things make a difference. Um, it won't always work. Um, it won't always be the thing that makes a big difference, but certainly it plays a role. And, and it's with recruiting too. I mean, just something as simple of going that extra step of, you know, getting the the picture of them in uniform or, or the, the Photoshopping things that get done on, on the graphics, how much that can really have an effect. Um, what and I'm glad that like Nick mute his mic. I'm sure he was taking notes on like, all right, I'm going to make my assistant. Uh, we're not just doing <laughs> gifts next year. We're going to start getting photo shoots done. Um, well, I mean, Nick, are, you're you're going to do that next year, right? I mean, like, there's a lot of things that I've been writing down. Since <laughs> Basically, this 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 podcast kind of our joke is that it's to help Nick continue to get better because he won Coach of the Year two years ago in his conference, didn't win it this year. So apparently, we slacked in the podcast. We've got to get him uh, get him back up to the status next year. Um, so you know, you you were at your time at, at Virginia, Virginia Tech. 
Um, so how do you, how do you make the move to Duke? Um, well, I went from Duke to, uh, or sorry, Virginia Tech to UNC. Um, it, you know, ironically, it was a goalkeeper coach position at UNC that came open. And when I was at Virginia Tech, our goalkeeper was first team all ACC. So whether it's right or wrong, you know, I um, reap the benefits of our goalkeeper. His name's Kyle Renfro, just doing really well. We weren't that good as a team, but man, we had a good goalkeeper. Um, I worked um, with him, and obviously, I'd, I had additional responsibilities, but that was a big um, piece of my resume. And I already had that relationship with UNC because I worked the camp. Um, so when that opportunity came at UNC, uh, just like those are one of the few programs when when they call, you answer and you, and you say, "When do I start?" So I went to UNC. I was there for two years, two years and change, and and we did super well. You know, it was it's obviously a top tier program. Um, uh, where we won a lot of games and I learned a ton. Um, Carlos Samuano, uh, what a coach he is and the staff that I was able to work with, uh, very, very fortunate to be, to be there. Um, and then after a couple of years, um, there was a position at Duke that came open that had more responsibility that kind of had the opportunity where you could be the recruiting coordinator, um, uh, that you could manage the scholarship budget, um, that you could just do more things in the field. You could do more things off the field, building the culture. And Duke was a program that hadn't made the NCAA tournament in like six years. Um, so I saw that as a mass opportunity to put my stamp on things, to be a part of something. Whereas at UNC, um, I was just another soldier and I had no problem being the soldier. Um, and I would do that to the best of my ability. I could have kept doing it, but Duke was the opportunity where I could I could hold the keys and I, I could learn from a different staff. But at the same time, I could do a lot versus just watching. So uh, I went to Duke and I became the recruiting coordinator. And you know, I've been here for three years, um, so it's been a great time. That's awesome. What um what, that that was Sean selectively choosing not to mention UNC. If you don't know Sean at all, if you've never seen anything of his on Twitter, Sean is his son is named Duke. Um, so that's how big of a Duke fan Sean is. You need to, if you're not following him on Twitter yet, you need to look at the tweet he just put out. I really like, I hope your son ends up a UNC fan, Sean, because it would be hilarious to watch what you would have to do to that room. His room is all blue, all Duke, all everything. It's actually a really phenomenal room, but Sean selectively just chose not to mention, uh, the other, the other school and about 30 minutes down the road. It's, it's even closer than that, isn't it? Is it, is it even 30 minutes? I think about eight miles. Oh, um, Jesus. And well, the, the funny thing is, and sorry, Sean, my, my, uh, uh, I have a close family. Um, my, 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 my wife's family, um, her, her, her dad went to UNC. She works at UNC. So I, I kind of a little house divided there. But um, to be honest, um, you know, yeah, it's, 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 you, you appreciate both schools. You appreciate being at both places. But I'm with you, Sean. Um, I'm on the hate mode right now. So, oh <laughs> uh, no, that's that's awesome. But like, when <laughs> what you say, Sean? THC, Chris. <laughs> but um, no. One of the cool things that like I like I saw about that was when I was reading through your bio and everything. Like you said, that they hadn't had a ton of recent success. And what was it like for you? Because in 2017, I think you guys had 2016. You had the number seven recruiting class in the country. How is it like recruiting to a school that maybe it's it's a if the kids are coming they're going to have to be a part of a change as opposed to like you mentioned being at UNC or maybe some of the schools that have had repeated success for a while getting those types of kids what is it like trying to talk to a kid that may have to go be a part of a change 
Yeah, you know, you had to sell kids on the vision, hundred uh, percent, because the type of kid. First off, Duke, Stanford, UNC, Indiana. There are programs out there that will kids will always be interested in, and even though Duke was struggling, they're still one of those programs. But if you go down to the top tier players that can also choose Wake Forest, they can also choose Stanford, they could also choose Carolina. You also have to win. And what we had to do is we had to get kids to buy into uh, what we want it to be, what we were now. This is what we are now. Um, but if we do X, Y, and Z, this is what we believe we're going to be. So our recruiting was getting kids to buy into that process. Uh, when I got there in 2017, we definitely ha- had to um, recruit a couple internationals to kind of help us push us forward a little bit quicker. But then once we really established ourselves with the 2018 class, that was the class that came in had national team players that had the ACC freshman of the year in it, um, had three or four starters in it of kids that were like high caliber players that believed in the vision, that, that loved Duke, that loved the idea of the education, but really also believed into where we could be. And of course, 2017, um, to be honest, I was surprised how well we did, how, how, you know, 2016 was a bad season, but 2017, we kind of, we had the third RPI, um, we made it to the Sweet 16. We had a kind of a Cinderella run where we won a lot of games that we weren't expecting to win. Uh, whereas 2018, we had the better recruiting class, better players, better overall team. Even though we lost a lot of key players the year before, um, the expectation was we should be we should be here. Uh, and now, now that we we found players to buy into that, uh, and they've got us there. Now we're recruiting on what we are now, and now what we want to be at that next level, which is Final Fours competing for national championships. So now we're doing the same exact thing, but just at another level. When um, you were, when you had that run in 2017 to the Sweet 16 where things started going right, did you notice things that made it go right? Or was it just, like, what did you feel were some of the main contributors to how that went? Yeah, um, we just, we had guys on the team that would just, we had a class of 11 seniors, first of all. And of that 11 seniors we had like three or four players five players that were excellent in terms of doing whatever it took to be successful um we had a guy named marcus furitoff that's playing professionally um in new zealand right now uh, he was drafted by the seattle sounders i think in the fourth round last year we had a kid named brian white now playing for the new york red bulls a guy named carter manley um these guys were catalysts in changing the culture that year um and there was a few others I didn't mention, but those three guys were for sure massive leaders in that process. Um, as we were going and competing in those games, we were under it you know, for quite a bit of those games, especially in the big games against big teams, against the Virginias, against the Georgetowns. We, we won games that we probably w- didn't deserve to win simply because we just had this mentality that these guys were bought. Uh, they were bought in. They were, they were completely – you know, on pushing this culture forward, change the mentality. We had to learn how to win. And all, all what happened was we started, we started to win games. We weren't expecting to win. And then we started, we're like, wait a minute. Um, we could beat these teams and maybe we're under it for a little bit um, for some of these games, but we, we could break and we could break really good. We had really good players in the team. We weren't that deep, but we, we were good enough to win some games. So we got to a point where we won, we won a game, and then we won another game, and then we just, we just established this belief in the team that we can win these games. And when you have that belief, it's so hard to take that away from your team. Um, so we established that in, in the team. Um, kudos to the players. They, they really um, 
really helped change the culture of the program that year. And once we added some wins to that, um, honestly, it flew by. Uh, it was crazy how it started coming. There's one one game that I remember is one road trip we played Pitt away, uh, and then we drove to D.C. and played Georgetown away, where Georgetown was a very good team that year, uh, much better than us. Uh, we beat Pitt on the road, and we we drove over to D.C. a couple days later and then beat Georgetown when we were completely under it. Um, but we were able to win 2-1 um, and scored on the break twice. Um, and that kind of gave – that put us over the hump of really believing, like, wait a minute, we can do this. Yeah. I was actually talking with uh, our men's coach the other day about it over, over this – over a few beers because he's kind of going through the process where right now they've just been on the outside looking in. And like like kind of like you're talking about, they need that one win that they probably shouldn't get where the things don't always go, go, the things aren't going the right way, but for whatever reason on that day, it happens for them against that good team. And it, it, it really is one of those things where sometimes in order for a program to go from being on the fringe to in that main group, they kind of need that, that game that, that really puts you over everything. Yeah, hundred percent. You got to create belief in your team. It's hard to get belief until you start seeing some of those moments happen. Um, you can work hard in training. You can pre- prepare properly. Um, you can, you know, have the greatest scout in the world. But unless those moments happening in games, and unless you walk out of there with a result, it's hard to truly believe. Um, and when you accumulate a few of those in a row, that's when you really have it. Um, and and then you build on that, obviously. But for us, yeah, th- there was a couple moments in that season that really put us over that hump and, and just made us believe that we can win some games. Um, and then we can go pretty far. And, and to be honest, we, we probably overachieved a little bit. We definitely um, we lost one round earlier than we should that year. But if you look at it collectively uh, over the entire you know resume of the season, I'm like, you know what? We overachieved at least what our, what our expect- expectations were going into the season. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like going into this next season, what are some of the things you're most excited? I mean, I guess you guys get a spring season. So what are you most excited about going in these next few months and kind of going into the 2019 season? Yeah, we lose one player or sorry, one starter um, from our last rush that's playing professionally in, in Scotland right now. Um, but we return a very good group. Uh, we, we've added three phenomenal recruits, um, a good recruiting class of four players that's going to come in, and a few of them are going to make an impact right away. So we feel like we gained way more than we lost, um, even though we did lose some great people in the program, some uh, very good players. But in terms of starters, um, we think we add some very good players to the group. Um, so it's only going to make it even deeper, even better team, even, um, even more competitive. Uh, and obviously, experience-wise, we'll have another year under our belt where we've been to two back-to-back Sweet 16s, and that's now the bare minimum. Um, and I can't say it was like that before. Uh, this spring, we're, we're super excited. We're going to play some really good games. We play NCFC, the pro team, uh, in a couple weeks. Then we play, uh, I think after that, it's Wake Forest. Uh, then we play, sorry, no, then it's UNC. Then we play Wake Forest. Uh, then we play Clemson, and then we play a f- another game, a fifth game at Wake that's kind of a round-robin um, thing. We're in this um, league with a bunch of other ACC teams and then Georgetown. Where we play two groups of four. We all play everybody that's, that's round-robin, and then one, the top seed in each group plays each other. The second seed in each group plays each other in that last weekend, and it makes a spring season – it's like something to play for. Um, so we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to – kind of move into that next level where 
we're not a Sweet 16. You know, making the NCAA tournament, that's the norm now, okay? Making the Sweet 16, making it to that level, hosting is the norm now. Let, now let's go to the Elite Eight. Now let's get to the Final Four. And, and, and to be honest, these next couple weeks, these next couple months, I'm looking forward to see how good we can get to prepare us um, for next fall. What are um... – like I, I kind of like talking about the spring season a little bit. Do you think that division one will ever go to that model where you guys actually do the non-conference schedule in the, in the fall and then the conference schedule in the spring? Yeah. The 21st century. Um, you know, I, I think the 21st century model is to me is a no brainer. I'm completely in support of it. Um, I'm obviously not in the seat where I'm able to push it uh, like some others. I know, um, there's a few, maybe five, six head coaches out there that are really leading the charge in that regard. I'm hesitant in, in terms of if it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, I think it needs to happen. And I think it will happen at some point. Um, but in the near future, uh, highly doubtful, just because we're at that point where the coaches are completely bought in, but we need, we need administration bought in. We need um, the FARs bought in. We need the NCAA, the people that are non-soccer people to buy into it, which they're just not quite there yet. Uh, and it, it would take a long time. It's taken a long time and a lot of work, specifically these five, six individuals that have kind of been leading the charge to get them to the point where they're even listening. But now we have to change the mentality um, uh, in it completely. Our sport's completely different. You know, college soccer is no longer the, the, the best opportunity for soccer players in our country. You know, if you look at basketball or other sports, their college sport is still the best opportunity, right? College soccer, now kids have other op- options. They can go to Europe. They can go to USL. They can sign homegrowns directly out, um, directly out of, um, out of club. So nowadays, um, for at least on the men's side, college soccer is not the highest level. So we need, to, we need to elevate our game. We're behind the times now. We need to get better um, in terms of creating a better developmental model. Um, but will it happen? Man, your guess is as good as mine. I think I think it will. It, it like you said, it, it just with so much talk about player safety and health issues, and the fact that it is also better academically for the kids. Like it's it's just a no brainer. Um, right. I, I'd be remiss if we didn't kind of finish up uh, here in these last few minutes uh, talking about you being uh, a member of the national staff for United Soccer Coaches as well as a scout for U.S. Soccer. So how did uh, how did both those come about? And and for somebody who's saying. What is a scout for U.S. soccer? Uh, just kind of, you know, what, what you do for, for both those organizations. Sure. For U.S. soccer, I'm a network scout. And what that means is um, my region, so North Carolina primarily, but South Carolina, Virginia, and that area, um, it's my job to identify players at various age groups um, to the youth national teams. And um, there's like five, six um, scouts in our region uh, that's overseen um, by Krista Silva, who is the um, – that basically the uh, network scout in the entire East Coast, they were split up in three regions. And maybe there's 15 scouts or 20 scouts, a part of each region. I know in our region, I think it's about 20. Um, and we're assigned games, but we're more so assigned specific players to watch to identify for the national team. Um, and that's, that whole system is obviously run by Tony Lapore. So we, so that's my role in that. Uh, we, I go that's watch a pretty cool play. gig. It's awesome. It, it's great. You know, it's, um, you get to see players at a high level. It, for me, it's a it's a um, a lot of crossover for Duke. Those are kind of the players I'm looking at anyway, um, and it helps me recruit at Duke. and And so it's been a great uh, opportunity, and it's been a great experience working for U.S. Soccer. But you also learn 
how to identify and how to scout players from a different perspective, which has been really, really unique. So that's U.S. Soccer. Um, United Soccer Coaches is a teaching organization, uh, is an educating organization. So for me, I get the opportunity to um, go to coaching courses and act as an instructor where I um, teach fellow coaches that are looking to do their licenses. So I do a lot of goalkeeper stuff. Uh, I've done some um, field player courses as well. Um, where I go, where there's 25, 30 candidates coming to a uh, course for a week, and, and I'm there as one of the instructors that um, helps guide them along the way through the process, helps educate them, um, do model sessions on all that kind of stuff. And it's just an opportunity for me to connect with different coaches, learn, of course, um, from them, um, but also to give back to the game that's given so much to me. What uh, obviously, you know, people obviously people can't see this, but you know, you're rocking the the USA uh, quarter zip right now. Yeah. What does it feel like, you know, because like there's obviously a difference between coaching for the national team and then working for the national program, but there still has to be something that when you put that on, compared to when I put my US soccer stuff on, like you're doing a job for them compared to I'm just advertising. Um, so what's it like when you put that on and you're going out to work, uh, to see these players, you know, what's, how does that feel? Yeah, it's, it's honor. It's, 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 um, a privilege to be able to support and, and help, um, us soccer, um, you know, for them to, to, um, help me or, or ask me to, to really be a part of the organization and be a part of the scouting department. It's a massive honor. You know, it's not, it, it's a privilege. It's something that um, it's hard to put into words because when you put that on, it's just this sense of pride um, that you're helping something so much bigger than, um, you know, maybe just Duke or yourself, but you're part of a much larger organization that represents the entire country. Uh, it's a really cool feeling. Um, now it's like kind of normal. It's, it's, it's <laughs> but um, definitely every time I, I have that opportunity, um, because you don't get to do it a lot. It's not something I'm doing every single week, but you're part of conference calls. You're part of, um, um, conversations on players. You go to games quite often. Every single time you get to do that, it's an honor. It's, it's, it's plain and simple. It's a privilege to be able to do it. And, and um, I'm ecstatic to be able to do it every single day. Be remiss if I didn't do some dumb questions. Uh, we, I made it 54 minutes without asking anything dumb. Um, we kind of talked earlier about music. You're a music guy. You're a classic rock guy. Uh, so I'm going to turn it a different way. If uh, What's your big uh, Netflix show? Ooh, Netflix show. Um, that's a good question. I'm not a big TV guy right now. Um, just because, you know, I haven't or been what, watching what's something if, uh, if, if you happen to be home, nothing to do. You just want yeah. to watch one. You know, I, I love Breaking Bad. I loved Entourage. I'm a big Friends person. Um, hey. Big Seinfeld person. Those are some classic shows. Office. I was a big Office um, show. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't have a uh, Netflix show right now. But, you know, what? I'm a sports guy. So when I come home, I watch live sports all the time. And I put anything on. That's basically um, me. A, a, lot, a lot of soccer games as much as possible. Um, but for me right now, you know, the time I'm getting home, I'm like, I'm still working on my phone. I'm still, <laughs> I still have the laptop in my lap. So really the TV is just background noise. Um, but I, I would say those shows that I mentioned, um, but I don't really have a show right now. What, uh, you mentioned being a sports guy. What, what's your favorite teams to watch, uh, whatever sport it may be. Yeah. So soccer, I'm a Manchester United fan. Uh, um, I, I grew up as a Roy Keane guy, just the way he played the game. So I support Manchester United. I'm a big Washington Redskins fan, which is okay. Um, you know, kind of a um, something from left field, right? 
But my father and my, my family um, were from Bethesda, Maryland, and I was kind of born into being a Redskin fan. It's been a, it's been a hard, I don't know, yeah. 20 years um, because 92 was kind of the last time, so longer than that, right? Yeah. Um, but we haven't really been good, but you know, I'm still a diehard. Um, there's glints of that, hope every now and then with, their, with that team. I, I, I watch them every now and then, and there's signs of hope every now and then. Yeah, you know, they, they, the, the hope kills you. The hope it, it, <laughs> it destroys you as a fan. You know, we were decent this year until Alex Smith went down. But yeah, yeah so I'm I'm a um, Redskins fan. Uh, I don't really support an NBA team. I don't like baseball. Um, don't really follow hockey, but I do support like college basketball. I love watching Duke basketball, um, but I can't say I'm a diehard. Um, so please, hopefully that doesn't, doesn't get out there <laughs> to too many Dukies. But um, um, I figure being I mean, a Florida guy, like you would be all about like some like tampa bay lightning or yeah yeah because uh, that's kind of like the that's like kind of the thing down there like florida's really accepted hockey out of nowhere yeah i grew up as a tampa bay lightning fan but i've just fallen away from it um you what happens is when you coach a sport um you spend so much time all your time and energy into that sport that you just don't have time for anything else and yeah. um i used to be a lightning fan i went to i went to the stanley cup game i was gonna say they didn't they win the stanley cup a while yeah. back yeah, I, I camped out for tickets to, to get another game. As a college student, I loved it. Um, but the last time I've seen a game, maybe six, seven years, just because. And maybe I've had it on for background noise, but you know, when I'm home, I'm I'm evaluating videos, recruit videos. When I'm home, I, I'm watching. Game, I'm breaking down a game to learn from a tactical standpoint. This game is. Uh, good or bad has taken over my life so it's hard to really focus on other sports <laughs> how many ha, has your wife learned to uh evaluate players yet no no <laughs> <laughs> i'll just keep it at that <laughs> I was, I was, the, the big joke is always the um the night that i proposed to my wife we had just had a game and i had to watch film that night and she was so jacked up on adrenaline after the proposal uh, and that's still a long story uh, that she kind of sat down and was watching the game. And then all of a sudden started like pointing things out to me. And I was like, I never thought about that. Right. Uh, so, so every now and then they'll, they'll, she'll have something good for you. Um, and, and not being an NBA guy, can we get you into a team? I yeah, figured I, be, being a Redskins fan, maybe like the wizards or something. <laughs> I, I like the Orlando magic at one point. Okay. In time. Um, Anthony like Hardaway. Penny, Penny Hardaway. Yeah. 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 Um, but man, I mean, I'll, I'll watch. I'll watch the NBA playoffs, but I'm not an NBA guy. Okay, I, I mean, you could always go for the Pacers. I mean, they're a pretty quality team. Yeah, you know, uh, Reggie Miller, right? Reggie Miller back in the day, he could shoot. So here's the crazy part. So I'm a I'm a big Pacers fan now. When I was a kid, I hated the Pacers because I did not like Reggie Miller. Yeah, he was not likable, was he? No, and I and I grew up a Bulls fan. Like everything that was put in front of me was Chicago Bulls and Jordan right. and, and Paxson and uh, Car- Bill Cartwright. Like I'm before the first three Pete. I or before the second three Pete. I'm the I'm the first group. Right. Uh, and then it was like as soon as Reggie retired, and I didn't have a team at the time because Jordan had retired, and I was just kind of passing time. I was watching the Pistons because Grant Hill played for him, and I was like, I need a team. And all of a sudden, I was just yeah, I'll go with the Pacers. And then the Miles at the Palace happened. It was like ah, oh, okay. Um, so we, we kind of mentioned you're a classic rock guy. What's your top five songs on your phone right now? So I'm a big Leonard Skinner guy. So Freebirds, all time great. Um, Do you yell that when you go watch a band play? What say that again? 
do you yell Freebird when every time you go watch it? <laughs> I am not that guy, but oh. uh, I have been that guy, but not consistent enough. <laughs> Sean uh, would be that guy. Sean yeah. would be that guy. Yeah, that's one thing I've refused to do. I I, <laughs> I, I, I entice others to do it for me. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Listen, everybody has a friend that is that guy, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I certainly have some of those, and I've done it before, but not not consistent enough. You know, so Freebird's definitely uh, Leonard Skinner and anything like that. Um, Almond Brothers, Rambling Man, Charlie Daniels, Marshall Tucker. Um, I like Journey. Um, I, you know, I'm a big classic rock guy, but I also like I like newer music. Uh, you know, I'm, but I'm not I'm not a music buff. Ironically, you know, when I I don't I'm not one of those guys that constantly listen to music when I'm driving. When I'm when I'm driving, I'm on the phone. <laughs> I, I, I'm making recruiting calls, so I don't, I don't get to li- listen to music that way. Um, when I work out, I don't like listening to music when I work out. Um, so really when I listen to music, it's more so in social settings, right? So I'm probably the last person to kind of give <laughs> the newest list of music. So I stick to my classic rock. Is there ever a period in the year where when you're in the car, you are listening to music and you're not on the phone? No. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're honest about it. At least you're honest about so it. So I'll, I'll do podcasts nowadays. Hey. Hey, there we go. Yeah, so I'll do like leadership podcasts and um, um, like John Gordon stuff. Um, I, I've been listening to like Athletic Director, um, you Athletic Director podcasts and kind of what they look for in coaches and kind of um, that kind of thing and um, some soccer podcasts and, and some tactical and coaching stuff. So that's my music to now to be is to me that's learning, that's growing, and I take way more pride in, in wanting to do that than jamming out to some music um, <laughs> nothing wrong with that but that's just you know kind of what 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 the kind of mode i'm in right now is there a song that you listen to before a game um, or if you had if you had the opportunity to listen to one before a game as, what would it be? as a coach no as a player it was always Freebird. <laughs> it was always Freebird. as a coach no um i don't I, if i don't have those like little superstitions as a coach but as yeah. a player um I would say Tuesday's gone or or um, free. Keeping it slow. That's that kind of a mellow. Get yourself relaxed yeah, in the mood yeah. to play. Yeah. Okay. Ironically, you know, part of our when I was a player, our, our part of our playlist was like "Man in the Mirror." That was one of the uh, <laughs> nice. Oh, some MJ. Um, yeah, bring it. Yeah, I can yeah. do that. Ironically, I don't know if that's um, supposed to pump you up or something, but that that got us going. Oh, but like the the where the choir comes in about what to make the world like yes, like that yeah. that's going to get your blood flowing. Oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a jam. That's a jam <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So one of the big things about soccer chat is it, we're we're creating this massive network of coaches, and where people can contact uh, the coaches that, that come on here if they have a question about the grind, or maybe just uh, some type of question about something that you do, maybe with the U.S. program or, or whatnot. Uh, if somebody is wanting to reach out to you and, and get connected somehow, how would they be able to do so? Whether via Twitter or email. Yeah, they get all of the above. Um, Twitter, um, they can uh, reach me. At, I think Coach Chris Rich is my Twitter handle. I think. Yeah. Um, and, and then email as well, Chris Rich at Duke.edu. Um, anytime, you know. Probably Twitter's the easiest, just because I'm on it all the time. <laughs> uh, that's my my guilty pleasure. Um, but email would be great as well. They can reach out to me anytime. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. It is a blast uh, having you on here. This is probably the closest to like truly just talking shop that we've had uh, in a while. And, and what better way to kick off 2019, our first uh, show post convention, and to have a nice little sit down chat with you. Thank you so much for coming on with us. 
Guys, thank you so much. It was my privilege. Thank you. I think my favorite thing about Chris Rich is Chris Rich truly is the everyman coach who is now working at Duke. I mean, like the coolest thing about him is Chris doesn't come from like a famous club or a famous family or played at in the ACC. It was an all ACC goalkeeper. Like Chris is the everyman goalkeeper. Like he truly, like he talked about in the beginning, had to grind for everything he got. And he worked and he made connections. They found all the things that we talk about people needing to do every single week on this show. He did it. He is, he is Chris Rich, the everyman coach. That's, that's who he's <laughs> going to be known from now on. I, I'm, I, I hope that when we meet Chris at some point, that's how you just walk up. You're like the everyman coach. <laughs> he is. He's a dude. He's just a dude. He's the everyman coach. <laughs> And again, you know, that's kind of what soccer chat's all about. You know, when he said like, yeah, reach out to me on Twitter, like let's chat. Like he really will. Like I just randomly uh, sent him a message one day. We talked for a while and then all of a sudden it was like, Hey, like come on the show and talk to us. Um, and, and he did uh, it's been a long, I think I, I want to say we just, we scheduled Chris in November or early December. So he was a super big sport and champ and like, uh waited uh waited out for us so we could get the show in and get our uh our chicago shows in as well um super cool story i i really think he should just try to get in every acc school like he may not have the record but i mean just go on and get it my guy dude like it's like the people that want to go to like every stadium in the united states (laughs) or the people that like want to visit every state you could be the first one you could be the pioneer to work at Mm -hmm. every acc school and what a uh, what a trivia question that would be. I mean, you'd always be the first. Yeah, like Jeopardy. Who is <laughs> <laughs> that would be the that'd be the best Jeopardy question ever. That's our next goal. Get Chris Rich on Jeopardy. <laughs> as as a as the uh, as a question on the board. <laughs> he would definitely be uh the daily double for for the episode. Um awesome to hear a story. I mean, you we we true bottom feeding common coaches you know we we see these these big schools and these big programs and we're like man like how do you get there and when you hear what he how he got there it's just like man like i can do that not saying like we're on the same level because he's obviously a much much better coach than than i am um but you hear that you kind of get inspired of like man like because i want i want someone who's listening to this right now who's trying to get to that next level who's trying to get to the the highest that they can to be like, man, like all I got to do is just keep grinding, keep working hard, and I too can can get to that level. Yeah, no, there's I mean, hope. It, there is hope for us. Well, again, like like I kind of said in the in the beginning of this part, like I mean, he's he's a he's a just a normal guy. Like there's there's no, and this is not a knock on him at all. There's nothing about his background that says he should be the head U.S. scout or one of the scouts for U.S. soccer, like they, to have an actual USA shirt and be able to do that. Camping like, out for Stanley Cup tickets when you're in college is kind of close. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's the best part about him is he had to work for so much of what he did. And 
like he talked about, like he volunteered. He didn't have health insurance. I mean, we were not promoting not getting health insurance until you're 28 years old, but he knew what sacrifices he was willing to make to get to where he was or to where he is now. And I mean, it's, it's a really cool story. It's definitely one of the cooler stories we've had in a while where you don't get to, you don't get to see so many success stories like that often, you know, where the people really had to grind away forever to, to do it. And he did. And it's awesome. Very, very awesome. And I just kind of want to point out for the fact that right before we record, my wife was like, are you going to fanboy? No, I didn't. No, you didn't. I would have. I almost did more than you did, I think. <laughs> well, I, well, I mean, I think your player did when you sent her uh, oh. what we were doing. Yeah, Ken's is going to freak out for sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, you know, and I, I've always, like, it, it, it was – so cool to talk to him and, and get to know him a little bit more than just uh, through the DMS and, and, and chatting on Twitter and whatnot. But like you said, like what a, what a cool guy, uh, somebody that I definitely think that uh, we could share beverages with at some point when we run into him. Um, hopefully somewhere down the, the winding roads of, of soccer as we find ourselves at um, have you truly recovered from Chicago. I'm finally recovered. I, I feel like I'm back in a normal. Yeah, I know you were sick earlier this week. Yeah, no, that was not fun. That had nothing to do with Chicago. Um, yeah, no, it was, I finally feel like I've gotten a grasp of everything that happened there and I'm able to talk to people about it without like, just being like, yeah, it was crazy. I have no idea what was going on. Like I finally had that moment to reflect and really get to enjoy the fact that of all the things that we were able to do and all the people we were able to meet. I think that that's been, it, it, it's it's finally calmed down a little bit where <laughs> I, I think I'm I'm going to be a little bit more adequately prepared going into uh, Baltimore next year. If they nah, no, you're never you're never fully prepared <laughs> for a convention. It, it changes every year, and and you're gonna you're gonna have a whole new year's worth of people that you're gonna be meeting, and it's just gonna add more to the uh, the nostalgia that is Nick Rizzo and people fanboying over you at convention. That is never the case. However, I did have another person come up to me when I was recruiting the other day when he saw my shirt and he's like, oh, you're Nick Rizzo, the, the soccer chat guy. I was like, nice. oh, that was pretty cool. I, I like it, it doesn't happen a whole lot, but it does happen every once in a while. And so it was pretty cool. And he was like, oh, like he saw the Monmouth. I think because we probably talk about Monmouth way too much on here. Red but- hoodie, Monmouth <laughs> on it. Gotta be Nick. Gotta be Nick Rizzo. He's only got two of them. Now, so see, he- when, I, when I'm out and people see that I'm there, they're like, hey, hey, uh, where's Nick at? <laughs> that is not true. That, that is happens- totally true. That is really true. That only happens when Katie Reese is out recruiting. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> People are like, hey, you're the soccer chat guy, right? Yeah, I am. Where's Nick? Uh, he he's not here. He's he's not he's not here right now. We don't we and don't. Then, act- and then and then they walk away. I'm like, oh, sorry to disappoint. <laughs> That's you are things. You are I am lying. the I am the soccer chat disappointment when people you're, will finally get to meet us. So you are lying now. You're just lying through your teeth. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, super fun conversation and and uh, you know kind of going off of last week. Uh, two awesome shows that we had. Uh, you know, we mentioned earlier in the intro about uh, us partnering up with with Dutick Brand, and and obviously you got to give big shout to to Stan Anderson and uh, John Bush and Eric Vader for coming on the show with us uh, last week uh, that we had for you on the Chicago shows. We're gonna put out more Chicago shows as little secret shows uh, as as they come along because we do have some really awesome uh, chats that we have for you guys with various vendors or other coaches as well. Um, or people that you see online all the time about soccer. Uh, we just had a, a chance to just 
talked to so many people and, and got as many conversations as we could. So we've got some of those that will be given out for you uh, here in the near future. Um, you know, Sire Chat, it's all about getting coaches connected. Uh, we bring it to you every single week uh, for free. And just like for free, uh, you could contact Nick and I for free. Nick, how can people get a hold of you on the Twitter? The best way to get a hold of me on the Twitter is at Coach N. Rizzo. What about you, brother? And mine is at Coach Soderling. And as we continue on in the Twitter, this whole thing about Nick is the Mario and I'm the Luigi. Just continue <laughs> watching these gifts every single week because I'm I'm now starting to find the perfect gift responses uh, <laughs> when Nick gives what uh, duo we are. Actually, hold on real quick. Hey, honey, my, my wife is here. Um, what do you think about Nick telling people that tonight it's that he is the Mario and I'm, he is the Mario to my Luigi. What was it last week? He said, um, uh, Starsky to Hutch or he is the Starsky to my Hutch. Um, I'm going to, oh, no, no, the best one. I, I was the Han Solo to your, oh, he was the Han Solo and I was Chewbacca, which I mean, I think you're just saying that cause I have a beard and my wife is my laugh. My wife literally is laughing out loud uh, at that one. So I think I'm now that she's laughing, I'm kind of offended by that one. Um, uh, at, at one point, he did even say that he is the Michael Jordan of my Scotty Pippen. <laughs> so I need, I need final, fi- honey. Should I be upset about this? <laughs> She's nodding her head. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Do what? She says that you're the brains of the operation. That is so not true. I'm, he I, says that is so not true. <laughs> Oh, uh, you know, we, we have fun here every single week. You can join the conversation on Twitter along with us. Uh, just following the hashtag soccer chat every single Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. Check out this podcast for free every single week, wherever you get your podcast from. If you're listening on Spotify, let me know because supposedly we should have been on Spotify a long time ago, but it wasn't on. So I got a whole Spotify. I was like, yo, put the podcast on Spotify. And it was like, all right, we got you, dog. Uh, so let me know if it's on Spotify or not, because if it's not, then uh, I'm going to roll up into Spotify's headquarters and be like, yo, what up with this? Um, it's for free every single week, all because of the good folks at Social Media for the High School Athletes. Check them out online, socialstudentathletes.com and all over social media at HS Social Media. Because of them, we get to put this out for you for free every single week and keep giving y'all that good news and that good message. Man. It's, it's that time. We have to we have to say goodbye uh, at the end of the show. But we'll do it as we do every single week. Is the fact that the best part about all of this is that we get to do it again next week. He's Nick. I'm Sean. And Nick is blowing up my Twitter on my phone, as you can hear. Nick, we'll catch you later. Catch you later, brother.